Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu rasulullah. You're listening to Islam Tomorrow. We're broadcasting almost live all the way from Carlidge Park, Maryland. We're at the University of Maryland where the Muslim Student Association is having their welcome back dinner. And we're kind of like eavesdropping on what's going on here. And I'm looking from table to table and seeing what's happening. There's a lot of folks here. And some of them look like Muslims. Do you have any Muslims here? Raise your hand if you're a Muslim. Okay. Raise your hand if you're not a Muslim. Is there any not a Muslims here? How about wannabes? Any wannabes? Okay, we got that settled and we'll move forward. Let's talk about Islam tomorrow. Islamtomorrow.com How many of you knew we used to have something else called Islam Today? And then it became Today Islam. And now, Islam tomorrow. Well, it's not just because I'm trying to keep you on your toes. It's because things keep happening to our website. (laughs) So we're opening a new one tomorrow called Islam Tomorrow, inshallah. What happened was on September 11th while we were up in New York by ground zero, passing out literature and talking to people, giving out CDs about what is Islam and so on, while we were doing that, somebody was hacking our website. <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> Basically, it's gone. I guess they didn't like the idea that uh, we were talking about how people can go from other religions to Islam. Especially preachers, priests, ministers, reverends, bishops. We had a section on that. So, alhamdulillah. Now... We'll be coming up with the new one called Islam Tomorrow. In the meantime, our oldest website, Islam Today, is now being operated uh, out of Saudi Arabia. Somebody has it over there now. And that's enough about our free advertising. We do have, by the way, some gifts I brought for everybody to have. You can take the CDs and audio tapes that we brought, one each, limit one to the customer, and then copy them. And you can give them out to folks. Then if you find an occasion that comes up where you feel like you need some stuff for MSA or any gathering that you have, you're welcome to contact us and then we can try to arrange for you to have as much as you need of any material. And that includes books and even the Quran itself in the translation to English. Inshallah. Having said all that, what are some of the things that you'll probably experience this year that's different from last year? Good question. Well, you know, everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Isn't that true? Nothing stays the same. I remember some of you guys before you were old enough to shave and the others before they started shaving. That's a little stab right there. <coughs> Anyhow, move forward. Everything changes. And this year you're coming back to school and there's something different. There's something different because the attitude is going to be a lot different than it was last year. Even though you saw a lot of changes last year, you can expect even more now. Probably you already have seen some things. When people are uneducated to something, they have a tendency to fear it. And that's usually the biggest problem. Lack of correct information causes fear, and fear can quickly lead to anger. Because these two emotions work with each other. Fear, anger, anger, fear. So I would recommend 
at every possible corner, every possible chance, you yourself take as much education about Islam and then share that with other people, whether they be Muslim or non-Muslim. Especially in the areas of human rights and the treatment of others and the values and concepts in Islam. Because these are the things that most people are really unaware of. And when they understand it, it really does help them to deal with Muslims. Very frequently, these are the very issues that people oppose in the beginning and ultimately are the cause of them entering into Islam. Myself being one of those cases. Eleven years ago, I was, I won't say a real enemy to Islam, but I sure wasn't friendly to it. To the extent that when my father came home one day and he said, you know, we're going to start doing business now with a man from Egypt. I said, well, that sounds pretty good, you know. When you think about Egypt, you think about the Nile River, Cleopatra, the pyramids, the Sphinx. He said, oh, yeah, and he's a Muslim. I said, a oh, Muslim? Oh, man. No way. I'll never forget it. We were standing right in the doorway of the kitchen when we were talking. I'll never forget it because I was thinking, what a horrible thing. Why would you want to do business with those people? Keep in mind, all I knew was what I had seen on television. And what I had seen on television had actually been from religious channels. Evangelists, and I was one, have a tendency to over-dramatize a lot of things because they know emotion is a stimuli that causes people to do what? Give money. If you can get people emotionally stimulated, you can get them to open their pocketbook. So, when most of these ministries rely heavily on donations, you can understand why they will resort to these tactics. And that's what it is. It's just a tactic. Scare people. And at that time, that was 1991, for the past six years, we had been actively, financially supporting uh, several of these television evangelist ministries. Not the least of which was one who was very interested in putting a satellite out there or at least buying time on a satellite to beam the message of Jesus to those third world countries who never heard of Jesus. And now, of course, they were talking about Muslims. This is totally bizarre if you know anything about Islam because not only do Muslims know about Jesus, they know about the concept of Jesus to the Christians and to the Muslims. Whereas even some Christians don't know what they're supposed to think about Jesus. But that was the sales point and that was what we were being told and that's how they raised billions of dollars. My father insisted that I meet this gentleman, the Egyptian, and I didn't want to. But in Texas, what daddy says goes, so that's what we had to do. But I said it has to be my way. I want to meet him at least on my terms, which is I want to meet him on Sunday after church. I'm going to be carrying my Bible under my arm. 
wearing my cross and my baseball cap that says Jesus is Lord. And that's what I did. I had my two little babies, two little baby girls. One of them's with me tonight. She's not a baby anymore. She eats too much. But uh, my wife was with me. We just came straight from the church. Prayed up, as we used to say. Charged up. When we walked through the door of my father's store, which, by the way, even though we were good Christians, we were also good businessmen, so we were open seven days a week. <laughs> In Texas, they used to have a blue law. You couldn't open on Sunday. didn't matter who you were. You couldn't open on Sunday. So, But uh, they had just gotten rid of some of those laws, and we were sure open. When I met the man, though, I was surprised because I was looking. Really, I was a little bit afraid. And that's my point of telling you the story is because I'm telling you how people are. I was very apprehensive, maybe even intimidated by this meeting. Because I'm expecting to see a guy, you know, wearing a long dress of some kind and a black coat over it and some kind of turban on his head, a big beard and a... Well, let's not get into all of that. Anyway, I was <laughs> expecting... <laughs> Maybe he's carrying a sword, you know. And uh, I had a picture of Ayatollah Khomeini. I don't know why. So when I see this guy, he doesn't have a beard. He has no hair at all. He's bald. No beard, no hair, no... In big smile, though. Anybody knows anything about the Saidi Minmes or the people from Upper Egypt? They have, they have a beautiful smile. Why did you start laughing? You see, anybody that's from there, as soon as you say Saidi, they start cracking up. Now, when we're through with the program, maybe I'll tell you some new Saidi jokes I just heard. <laughs> but in any case, what, what went through my mind was, maybe he's not really a Muslim, because he looks nice. Can you imagine? I want you to use this mindset, because... I'm sure that it's even worse today. Worse than this. But use this mindset and imagine how you would feel if you were trying to encounter something and trying to deal with it. We had been told that the Muslims do not believe in God. Not really. They don't believe in God. That in fact they worship a black box in the desert. And they kiss the ground five times a day. Now that's before you get into the issues of oppressing women and strangling children or whatever other things they say about Muslims. They've got a whole series of things that they like to trot out every time somebody brings up the subject of Islam and Muslims. So when I saw this man, I said, you know... Maybe there's hope for him. I shook his hand and I was expecting, you know, like something bad. But it's a normal handshake. Now just think, if I'm worried about a handshake, can you understand how much apprehension that is? Afraid to touch somebody? And I told him my name. He told me his name was Muhammad. I said, uh, so, uh, do you believe in God? 
look at this. Directly we got into the subject. Said, yeah. Now I had heard that some of these Muslims believe in Abraham. So I said, let's go there. I asked him, do you believe in the Old Testament, the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, do you believe in Abraham? He said, yeah. How about Ishmael? He said, yeah. And Isaac? And he said, yeah. And Moses? Yeah. Suleiman? David? Yeah. So, hmm. Yes, but do you believe in Jesus? He said, yeah. I said, what? He said, you believe in Jesus? Wow. He knew right away what I, where I was at, where I was coming from. Whereas I had no clue. Because obviously any Muslim in this country has been through these things before. Well, over a period of time, of course, he went to work with us. And over a period of time, he mentioned to me that actually he was willing to come to my religion if my religion was better than his religion. I said, all right, now we're somewhere. You know, this this is good news from his side. We can go ahead and get the baptismal ready and give him a bath tonight. Bring him right on into the fold and Jesus will save him, you know. But he said something else. He said, but you'll have to have proof. I said, what? Proof. Proof. Religion is not about proof. Science is about proof. Religion is about faith. He said in Islam, we have both. We have proof and faith. I'm going, huh? Wait a minute. How can you do that? Step by step, slowly, slowly, in a three-month period, three months. Some of you out here, you think you're supposed to talk to somebody in five minutes. They're supposed to get excited and become a Muslim. It doesn't work like that. Three months. And me trying to convert him, by the way. He traveled with me. We went to a lot of places together. We'd talk on these long trips. I'd try to argue with him on points. He beat me on every single point. I don't, we're just talking about, I don't want to call it a debate on subjects, because we didn't debate in the sense like I, I know some of you talk about, but in the sense that I'll bring a subject up, you take one side, I'll take the other, and he could always outlogic me. Talking about any subject. But when it came to religion, I couldn't even get close to this man. Because he would come with these answers that just made me go, hmm, that's a good answer. I don't have an answer. Good question, me, no answer. Well, then it happened that a Catholic priest friend of mine had a heart attack. And needed a place to stay to recuperate. We took him out to our house. We were Protestants. We had another friend who was an evangelist, used to carry a big cross, walk up and down the streets with a cross, you know, like down the highway and that kind of thing. And another evangelist friend down in Mexico, and then this priest. So, And then my father was an ordained minister. So I'm saying that we had a lot of religious people. Every night when we could, we would sit around the table, and we would talk about Religion. And especially about the Bible. But here it comes. Watch this. My father has what they call the King James Version of the Bible. 
most Christians, if they're really stuck on the Bible itself, most of them will agree the King James Version is it. That's it. Yet I had what they call Revised Standard, which in the very beginning acknowledges immediately there are grave defects in the King James Version. So I'm arguing with my father over his Bible, my Bible. My wife at that time, she had another Bible. It's a Jimmy Swagger translation. Something called the Good News for Modern Man or something like this. I don't think he really translated it. I think he just put his name on it. Somebody else did it. Because in a debate that he had once, he mentioned that he was not a scholar of the Bible. Therefore, it wouldn't be logical that he did translation if he doesn't even know how to read the Greek or the Latin or the Hebrew. In any case, she has her Bible and we're discussing whether hers is right or ours is right. Then we come to the subject of the Catholic Bible. Now, the Catholic Bible is totally different from the Bible of the Protestants. In fact, the Protestants used to be Catholics until they protested about 500 years ago. That protesting is why they're called Protestants. And they broke away from the church, the Catholic church. And they rewrote the Bible to suit themselves. And their Bible is having 66 books, whereas the Catholic Bible has 73 books. And the books aren't exactly the same. Some have more verses or less verses or different verses. So we would put these... had a table about the size of that one. We'd sit around that and we would put the books out there and we'd start talking, you know. To the exclusion of Muhammad the Muslim. He would sit off to the side, you know, and just kind of watch us go through our drill. And we got in some pretty good arguments about the Bible. Until one time I turned to him and I remember we were talking to him about the Quran. And we said, well, how many versions of the Quran do you have? He said, one. And it's in Arabic. And it's the same one that came with the Prophet, peace be upon him. So why? So say, huh? At first I thought he was pulling my leg. I thought he was just kind of like one-upmanship. Ha ha, you know. But then while we were writing one day, he was telling me something about the Quran. He was mentioning something. And then he began to recite it. And I heard the recitation in the Quran. And he was reading it rather fast. And I stopped him. I said, would you please say that again? He said, why? You don't know Arabic. I said, it just sounded nice. Do you mind? He said it again. I said, no, slower, slower. And he recited it again. I said, it's really beautiful. From that point forward, I changed my attitude. I had a lot more respect because I realized that he has something I don't have. His book is in the original language. And he knows it in the original language. And he can recite it. And it sounds nice. Step by step. This is how some people come to Islam. In stages, steps. And then I remember that the Catholic priest one day asked him, because the Catholic priest was in on this with us by that stage of the game. He asked him, if I can go to your church with you? Muhammad said, sure, but it's a mosque, but yeah. They came back and we asked the priest about it. You know, what was the experience? What do they do over there? You know, tell us. He said, nothing. They line up, they pray, and they leave. Say, okay, well, like, what did they do? He said, nothing. They prayed and they left. 
afternoon, some afternoon prayer. I said, well, what kind of music do they have? So they don't have any music. I said, how do you worship God with no music? And so I asked him, I said, Muhammad, your mosque have a piano in it? He said, no. You got an organ? He said, no. I said, how many mosques are there in the world? He said, millions. He said, millions and no pianos and organs. By the way, I was in the piano and organ business and I was calculating. I can get rich. I can get rich. Even if I made three or four dollars a piece, look how much money I can make. I was thinking, you know. <laughs> the Catholic priest went back with him another day and when they came back this time, it was pretty late, and when he came in the door, he was wearing the priest. was not a priest anymore. He was wearing a white thobe and a kufi, a little white cap on his head. And I looked at him and I said, Pete, did you become a Muslim? Now, this is Father Peter Jacobs, but I'm not Catholic, so I don't have to call him that. I said, Pete, did you become a Muslim? He said, Sharbi la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. I was shocked. And I did a lot of thinking that night and talking. And the next morning, I went out by myself and put my head down on a piece of plywood somewhere, thinking nobody can see me except the law. And I said, Oh God, wherever you are, guide me. And when I came up from that, I realized that I had to make some changes in myself, but for sure Islam is right. The thing that was wrong was me. And that's where it started in July of 1991. Well, two months ago, July of 2002, that date came again and passed, and I had to look at myself again and realize that even now, I'm still the same way. Islam is right. The problems are me. My wife at that time, she also made her shahada. She came into Islam too, same day. My two little girls became Muslim. Later, my father became Muslim. My father has Alzheimer's, by the way. He can't even hardly speak. He can't take care of himself. Can't can't go anywhere or do anything at all. We have to help him with every single function of his life. But today, in the wheelchair, I passed by him, gave him a little kiss on the forehead, and I said to him, How you doing, Dad? He said, Huh? I said, How are you doing? He didn't give me much of an answer. And I said, Salaam Alaikum. He said, Salaam Alaikum. And that's hard for somebody who just learned that little bit of Arabic before he started getting that disease. But he still has that, that left. So I have to tell you something that as you go through this year, you'll encounter problems. But those problems are really opportunities. They're not near what you think they are. There are opportunities for you to excel, to be what you can be as a Muslim. And I want to review that real quick and show you some of the qualities of the person who helped me come to Islam. First of all, he never attacked my religion once. He never put my Bible down. That was me and my family doing that, not him. He never said anything against any of the prophets. Obviously, Muslims can't. 
He never spoke anything bad about even the version of the Bible that I had. He would only confirm that which was in accordance with what he knew from Quran and Sunnah and what he didn't have in uh, conjunction with it. He would say, we don't know that in Islam. We don't know that in Islam. The other thing that he talked about was people's rights. And I'm featuring that tonight a lot because we as Muslims have forgotten a lot about people's rights. The first rights are the rights that Allah has on you. If you don't take care of this, you can't expect much after that. The rights that Allah has on all of us, and they are clear, never to worship anything other than Allah. If anybody worships anything or anybody other than Allah, they have broken that trust and can't really consider themselves a Muslim anymore. Immediately following that is to pray five times a day. You're going to college. You're saying, I can't do that. I'll wait and pray them all at night. I'm telling you that if you heard the Dohr at dawn, you knew it was time, or your little watch beeped off, or somebody told you, you knew you were conscious of the time of Dohr, the noon prayer. And then Asr came, and you still didn't pray it. That prayer has gone. That is gone. G-O-N-E. You want it in Arabic? Khalas. Finish. And then if you listen to the Adhan for Maghrib, and you haven't prayed the Asr, that one's gone. And then when the sun is completely gone and it's time for Isha, then Maghrib is gone. Don't play with this. This is very serious. Because it's the next right that Allah has on you after the Shahada. And the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, told us, Laysa minha. He is not from us who leaves the Salat. After the regular Salat is the Salat on Juma. The Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, wasallam, told us, Whoever misses one Juma without excuse, Allah will darken one-third of their heart. And who misses three, Allah will blacken their entire heart. Now you might not think that's a big deal to have a black heart. But I got a clue for you. He's talking about guidance. Because without guidance we're lost. We need that guidance. And you have no idea what it is to be lost. I do. I spent 48 years lost. You don't want that. After the Salah, what's next? Fasting Ramadan. Ramadan's coming. Alhamdulillah. It's the best, best 30 days of my life. I was scared to death the first time. You know why? I didn't quite get the picture. I said, 30 days you don't eat or drink? They said, yeah. I said, nothing. They said, yeah. I said, man, on that last day, I bet you're hungry. They said, no, 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 no. Every night you can eat all night long. I said, oh, that's easy. Just switch. Sleep in the day, eat at night. <laughs> now I found out Muslims really do that. <laughs> but I call it 
30 days is the best food and, and drink you ever had in your life. Every time you break the fast, how delicious is it? And speaking of that, don't forget we can always fast Mondays and Thursdays too. Get ready for Ramadan coming up. Month of Shaban is a good time to start fasting. You don't have to, but you do have to fast Ramadan. Don't leave that. Prophet said there's a curse on the one who goes to Ramadan and doesn't fast it. That's the summation of a bigger hadith. The next one is to pay the zakah. Most of you going to college here, university, don't have a whole lot of problem paying your zakah. You don't have anything to pay it on anyway. You don't have to pay zakah and borrow money. <laughs> but be ready for that. When it's your turn, pay it. Next, hajj. And again, where you're going to university here, it's a little bit hard to break off and go make hajj, but that is part of Islam. So the rights are to Allah first. This is my point. He has his things that you have to do. You give respect to Allah. Second is the Prophet ﷺ. The rights that he has is that we follow his sunnah. That's what a shadow on a Muhammadan abduhu wa rasul means. It means you follow the sunnah. You don't come up with this, well, I follow the Quran, but I don't know about sunnah. Well, then why would you say a shadow on a Muhammad or Rasulullah? Because that's a part of Islam. And after the Allah and His Prophet is what? Is your parents. Parents have rights. We have a big responsibility to our parents. And after that, to our families in general. And after that, to our relatives, our wider relatives. And then, the society. I'm going to finish with this one. There's a famous hadith of Rasul that people always mix it up. They say, Adina Nasiha. Ever heard that one? Well, that's usually the one that the brothers come up to you with just before they start insulting your intelligence. Because Adina Nasiha is usually translated to English to say, the religion is advice. And if you know the whole hadith, you know that's not true. But like many words in Arabic language, Nasiha carries a bigger, wider, and more versatile meaning. It can be advice, just like sabr can be patience, and about 50 other words too. But Nasiha can't be, in this hadith, advice. I'll show you why. Because they said, to who? Adina Nasiha, to who? And the Prophet ﷺ said to Allah and then to his messenger and then to the emir over all of you and then to the general people. And if you said it means advice, I'd like to know what kind of advice you're going to give Allah. Will you tell him that the neck of the giraffe looks a little too long to you, that he ought to shorten that sucker down? That's kind of big. Or will you mention to him the size of that big stone inside of the manga? The mango stone is too big, man. I need some, you know. You're wasting too much juice here. Of course you won't. Astaghfirullah wa billah. And what will you tell the Prophet ﷺ about Islam? How will you advise him? And you can't. And how will you advise the Amir? And that's where we really get in trouble. When we have an Amir, we go up to him and say, I think the way you run this country stinks. Wrong, wrong, wrong. And then finally, to the people in general, and this is what they run around, Brother, Adina Nasiha, those pants are too long, your beard is too short, your miswax is too fat, and you're, you know, you're going like, what is this? 
Have you seen these guys? I call them the Bismillah Police, and they come out with this chart. I think they're going to write me a ticket or something. This is not Islam. I don't care what you know about Islam. Your application stinks. Islam starts in the heart, okay? Not in a computer bank somewhere. Don't come up with that to us. Compassion, love, concern, and devotion to the extent... I'm talking about for your brother, to the extent you prefer for him what you want for yourself. Would you want somebody to come up and do that to you? Of course not. That's not the meaning of it. So let's back off a little bit, you know. And when the brothers say, oh yeah, by the way, when you get up there, be sure and mention something to the sisters about hijab. You know, it never fails. Somebody will always tell me that. But actually, sisters don't even need to wear hijab. How many of you knew that? They don't need to wear it. As long as there's no men present, they don't need to wear it. So it means you're the problem, not them. You think I'm joking? Go read the Quran and check it out and see. Read the ayah in Surah An-Nur, chapter 24, verse 30. It says, Tell the believing men, hello, men, M-E-N, the dudes, the guys, to lower their gaze, to guard their private parts. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts it out. Then he goes to the next ayah, 24-31. He said, tell the believing women to lower their gaze, guard their private parts, and to cover. I'm giving a loose meaning of this because it's not our subject tonight. But she also has a responsibility above the man, and that's because of why. Because the man ain't going to lower his gaze, and some of the guys aren't Muslim, don't know how to behave themselves. But it's a prevention for men. There isn't anything telling the men, and the other ayah, by the way, is in Surah al hasab 33, verse 59, just in case somebody thinks that's the only verse. But still, it's for the same reason. It says when she goes out, when she goes out, it's to protect her. To be known as a believing woman. But I'm going to close now with the last hadith. The Prophet ﷺ told us that there will be four that are going to be punished for the woman that doesn't wear hijab. Her father, her brother, her husband, and her son. Now, were you counting with me? Were you counting? There was four, wasn't it? Did you hear anybody mention her? Uh-uh. Why? Because it's up to the father to provide the environment and the money to buy her the clothes. Then it falls to the brother, to the husband and the son. But by the way, ladies, if you love your father and you love your brother and you love your husband and you love your children then wear the hijab so Allah won't punish them. Makes sense? Yeah. I'll close with that. I'm happy to have a chance to be with all of you on your kickoff dinner. And I hope, inshallah, I have a chance to come visit you again before the semester is over. But for sure, for sure, the most important thing of all is the guidance from Allah. So beg Allah for that every day. Guide us to your straight path. And let Allah do the rest. You've been listening to Islam Tomorrow and our new program. Alhamdulillah, we've been broadcasting almost live from College Park for the last 43 and a half minutes or whatever it was and had a good time tonight. I think it's time to eat. Or did you already eat?
Eat. Huh? Well, then it's time to pray. You ready to pray Maghrib? Inshallah? Okay. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasan wa fil akhirati hasan wa qina adha bin nar. Ameen. Allahumma inni zalam tu nafsi dhu min kathirin wa la yagfur zhanubi illa ant. Fagfurli makfur zhu min indika wa hamni inaka antu kufur rahim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad. Kama salli ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim. Inaka hamidun majid. Don't forget to visit us on the internet at today's tomorrow. Islam tomorrow or whatever it is. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.